Thanks for listening to the Toronto Legends Podcast, powered by the Henderson Brewing Company, a locally owned, award-winning neighborhood brewery that celebrates Toronto's stories and culture. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Todd Gill. And instead of little old me introducing Todd, I'm going to turn the mic over to your friend and mine, Mr. Don Cherry. Todd Gill, forward defenseman for the Toronto Maple Leafs, born in Rockville, Ontario. Todd's been with the Leafs since 1984. He's been through the tough times with the Leafs, but Todd always gave it 100% when he was playing. He was one of the few Leafs that had a respectable plus and minus, a record of minus four, which is great on the Leafs. And may I add, Todd would drop the gloves with anyone. Well, if Todd's good enough for Don Cherry, you can bet that he's a real beauty and good enough for the Toronto Legends podcast. As Don noted, Todd played defense for your Toronto Maple Leafs for 12 seasons from 1984 to 1996 and still ranks 8th in points for defensemen in the franchise's long and storied history. In total, Todd played over 1,000 NHL games for 7 teams over 19 seasons before his first retirement. Four kids and 13 years of coaching later, Todd finally retired for the second time in 2019 and the family moved to the Rideau Lakes region of eastern Ontario. His chief role now appears to be the lead taster for his wife Krista's gourmet cookie business, so Todd definitely seems to have life figured out. Thanks, Todd, for joining me on Toronto Legends. Where are you and how are you? Well, I'm doing great, thank you. And I'm at home on Lake Opinicon right now looking out the window talking to you. Well, I think I'm jealous. You're going to have to tell us all where Lake Opinicon is exactly, but anything where you can look out your window with that view sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful area. We moved here about three years ago. We were originally in Brockville, Ontario, and uh, that's where we raised our kids. And uh, they all grew up and left the nest, so we decided to uh, scale down a little bit as far as size of the house, and we moved back here. Uh, my wife's parents are in the area, so we thought we'd move and be close to them. Well, I think I owe you congratulations. You got all four of your kids off the payroll? <laughs> Well, when someone once told me that they're always on your payroll, and that's true. So, you know, uh, they're all doing great. Uh, I just became a grandfather two times over. Both girls had uh, little babies, one a boy, one a girl. And uh, it's been an awesome uh, It's been an awesome couple months here. Congratulations. That sounds fantastic. Well, let's start by going all the way back, Todd. Get the Todd Gill story. Where were you born? And please describe your upbringing. Well, I was born in a little town called Cardinal. It's um, it's along the 401 headed to Montreal, a town of about 800 to 1,000 people. And our upbringing was awesome. Uh, you know, played lots of summer sports in the summer, winter sports in the winter. You always had a, a close group of friends that uh, were always there and available to go out and play. And surrounded by woods, so we did a lot of uh, tree forts and, and so on. And, and when we weren't playing sports, we were probably causing a little bit of mischief. And you have siblings, and what did your parents do? Yes, I have three brothers. Uh, I have an older brother, Trevor, uh, and Doug, and then a younger uh, brother, Paul. And my parents both worked in the, at the time it was called Casco. Uh, the name has changed over the years, but both were in there for 40 years. Now, your hockey career, I, I assume you started playing right from as a child. Uh, your youth hockey career led you to being selected in the second round, 18th overall, by the Windsor Spitfires of the Ontario Hockey League in the 1982 OHL Priority Selection Draft. So you left after grade 10, is that correct? Yes, uh, I remember that day, 
changed so much from from what happens now. But uh, I guess it was late September. Uh, my dad took me to Brockville, threw me on the Via train, and off to Windsor I went. And I didn't <laughs> see him again until Christmas. So th- things have changed. But at the time, uh, made you grow up fast, and and I enjoyed every minute of it. It it does sound crazy today, Todd. I have to tell you, my my daughter's in grade ten, and she's a great kid, but. Uh... Oh my gosh, I don't know how she could leave the roost today. What do, what do you remember about that experience? You know what? I was excited. Um, I knew one thing. I, I unfortunately wasn't the best in school, so uh, I thought here's an opportunity to just continue to play hockey. At the time, I had no uh, aspirations of playing in the NHL. It was just a chance to get out of Cardinal and and go and experience the world. And uh, And things just kept escalating, and before you knew it, I was drafted. Well, clearly they did escalate. You were drafted in the second round, 25th overall, by the Toronto Maple Leafs in the 1984 NHL entry draft. What was the buzz leading up to draft day? And, and did you have any expectation of being drafted and where you'd be drafted? Yeah, I I was pretty excited, to be quite honest with you. Uh, I had a couple interviews with uh, other teams other than Toronto. So when Toronto ended up selecting me, it was a bit of a surprise. I thought I was going to Washington. And uh, so... Uh, I was fortunate enough to be drafted by Toronto and and got to spend uh, quite a few years there. And back in that day, it's a different kind of draft than it was today. Was there a physical draft? Would you have attended or where would you have found out that you got drafted by the Toronto Leafs? Yes, it was held in Montreal at the Forum. So my mom and dad and I went down and uh, I still remember... um, sitting in the stands and, and Washington was getting ready to draft. I think they were drafting 11th. And uh, the night before, pretty well told me that if I was available, I'd be going there. And when I didn't go there, I was kind of sitting there and pouting a bit. And and uh, when Toronto drafted, I actually didn't even hear my name. I just seen my mom jump up and down and I kind of went, oh, geez, what just happened there? So uh, it was it was a, quite an experience. Um, the place was packed and and we got to go down on the floor and throw the jersey on and and uh, something that you'll remember for a long time. And who who welcomed you to the team? Who would have been the one to hand you your jersey and shake your hand? Do you it remember? It was Gord Stelic. Gord and, and Bob were working with the team at that time. And when I got down there, Gord met me and uh, to the table. And who was your team growing up, Todd? Like, were you a Leafs fan, or did you have a team? Well, at at the time, um, that's back when you had rabbit ears for uh, the, to pick up your TV stations. The only uh, hockey night in Canada we would get were the Canadians, so we watched a lot of the Montreal Canadian teams. Um, after you got drafted, you returned to the Windsor Spitfires for the 84-85 season, but once that season ended, you joined the Toronto Maple Leafs for a brief 10-game stint. Talk about your first game, the first time you pulled on that Leafs sweater. What do you remember about that? Well, again, uh, we were speaking about Montreal. We played Montreal back-to-back, and uh, it was kind of a surprise because I was uh, in Windsor, and Jimmy Rutherford was our GM at the time, and he called me up, and I was fortunate enough to make the All-Star team, and uh, that was All-Star weekend. And he called me up. He says, I got some some good news and bad news, and the bad news is you're not going to the All-Star game. And I kind of went, what what happened? And he says, well, Toronto's called you up. Can you believe that? It's fantastic. <laughs> so, yeah, so I jumped on a plane and headed to Montreal, met the team there, and got to play the uh, my first game at the Forum. And uh, we won. And we had back-to-back, like I said, and we went back to Toronto and, and won that game as well. So it was a great start. Wow, you must have been on cloud nine. I was. Uh, again, watching the team you grew up watching, uh, getting to play – 
them both at home and away and winning both games. Uh, it was an awesome start to my career. Do you remember who your roommate was for that very first visit to Montreal? Because you must have been on air at that moment. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I had my own room because I was a late addition. So uh, <laughs> I got stuck in a room by myself. But it was probably a good thing because I was pacing around. I imagine if I had a roommate, it would have drove him crazy. Well, that's quite a start. Now, Todd, the next season, you played the majority of your games with the Leafs AHL affiliate, the St. Catherine slash Newmarket Saints. But as the 86-87 season came, you were called up to the big club, never looked back. You had a reputation as a two-way defenseman who was defensively responsive, but could also add to the score sheet. And of course, you were very tough, not afraid to fight. Thus, the compliments from Don Cherry. Did you ever meet Don Cherry? Yeah, fortunately for us, uh, when they did their uh, little him and, and Ron McLean, their, I guess, studio was right across the dressing room from our, uh, from our dressing room, right across the hall. So usually before every game on Saturday night, you go over and have a chit-chat with them. Um, Don was a good guy. I liked him. Ron could talk about anything. He knew everything about everything, and, and uh, some of the conversations got to be pretty interesting. They're, they're a great tandem, and I think a lot of people miss them on TV. Now, the 1980s were very dark days for the Toronto Maple Leafs. You were obviously able to stick with the team through those tougher times into the team's super exciting playoff runs of the 90s. But first, let's talk about your first few years in the 80s. What do you remember about that? And how is it for a young player when the team was having some troubles, but you were trying to develop? Well, it, it was tough at times. Uh, again, if you look back at those teams, we had a lot of young guys Courtnell, Jackson, Benning, Nyland, Wendell, well, the list goes on and on. And and uh, I think as a, as a group, being so young, we stuck together and, and tried to keep the outside noise away. And, you know, and as everybody knows, Toronto is, is the, the best hockey city in the world. And, you know, you, you have to take the good uh, with the bad and the bad with the good. And, and unfortunately, in the 80s with, uh, you know, Mr. Ballard on the team, there was always some controversy going on. And, and you again, just tried to not lock it out of your, your system and not allow it to, uh, to affect you. But it, it affected all of us in some way or another. When you started out with the Leafs, who would you say kind of took you under their wing in terms of showing you how to be a pro off the ice and also showing you how to be a pro on the ice? Well, that's an easy one. Borea Salming was, was the guy, and he did that with a lot of us. Like, I think Borea was closing in on his 30s, and then you had Nyland, Benning, 24, Bob McGill, 23, 4, um, who else? Myself and Alfie. Uh, there was lots of young guys there that he would he would talk to and, and try to lead by example, and then when he needed to, he'd pull you aside. And, you know, for an example, I remember my first year, him inviting me over for Thanksgiving dinner, and and having it with his family. And he didn't have to do that, but that's the type of guy he was. Leadership. That's what it's all about. Now let's talk about the magical 92-93 season. This was, in fact, the best season of your career as you ranked fourth on the team that year in points. You led all defensemen in both goals and points. Todd, before you share some memories from that epic 93 playoff run that had the whole city behind you, let me just remind the listeners to set it up. The first round of the playoffs was a Game 7 win against Detroit Red Wings, featuring the overtime goal by Nick the Stick Borchevsky. The second round was another Game 7 win against the St. Louis Blues, and that featured the awesome Dougie Gilmore, this way, that way, this way, Game 1 overtime winner that set the tone for the series, assisted by none other than you, Todd. 
And if you weren't exhausted enough as both players and fans, the third round went all the way to that Game 7 loss in the Conference Finals to Wayne Gretzky and the Los Angeles Kings. This was a game that many considered to be the great one's single greatest performance as he scored the Game 7 hat trick. Todd, what are your most vivid memories? Let's go series by series if you don't mind. First, the Detroit series. Well, Detroit that year had a pretty good year, and, and uh, I thought we had a really good year. We had a team that I think was built for the playoffs. Um, you know, we we had a – unfortunately, we were, we struggled to score goals, but Dougie did a lot of that, him, Anderchuk, and Anderson, and and yet the rest of us all had a role to play. And, and I think that was the success of that team is we knew our role, and uh, everybody was happy in that role and, and just wanted to be the best they could at – at helping the team win and I think that game seven uh, I was unfortunate I didn't get it to win a Stanley Cup but that was like winning the Stanley Cup beating those guys and when little Nicky put that puck in you know it was just elation. Uh, I, well I remember it too <laughs> I mean I didn't get to enjoy it like you did on the ice but I, I distinctly remember being with my uh, college buddies Seeing that overtime goal went in, everyone hit Young Street. And just like you said, it was pretty much the closest thing to winning a Stanley Cup. And this was only the first round. This was the first round. The next round, you're already exhausted. Another Game 7 tilt against St. Louis Blues. Todd, what do you remember about that series? Well, again, it just seemed like, uh, personally, I felt we were the better team. But Cujo was on fire that that series. We, uh, you know, the the game where Dougie did the spinorama about 15 times um you know I think he had 60 some shots that game but you know we just felt confident we felt we were going to win that series and and we were lucky that game seven was kind of a blowout and uh we didn't have that mental exhaustion well it gave you a little bit of a mental break because now you're in the conference finals Wayne Gretzky and the Los Angeles Kings I don't think we're going to adjudicate that final uh, game six call, non-call. It's been discussed far too much. But obviously, with you being there, love to hear your thoughts on that series against Los Angeles. Well, again, we uh, we felt we were we were good enough to win that series and and played well enough to win it. You know, after losing game six, we we felt confident coming back. And you know, you, you always hear the stories about uh, Wayne's you know, going to put it to the Toronto media because they said he was washed up and boy, did he come out and have uh, his best game of the series, but it was devastating. Uh, you know, you, I still don't get over it when people talk about it. I, I just kind of have to walk away because it was the closest I'd ever come to, you know, getting to the, to the Stanley cup final. Well, you really galvanized the city, Todd. Everyone remembers that whole magical run and how exciting it was. And as you say, it must have been tough, though. But next year, you again advanced to the conference finals in 93-94. But then the Leafs took a little bit of a turn, defeated in the first round, 95 playoffs, 96 playoffs. It was now time for a rebuild. Big changes were coming. And that included you being traded in June 1996 to the San Jose Sharks. This must have been crazy for you. Snowy, hockey-mad Toronto over to sunny, non-hockey-mad San Jose. What was that experience like? It was like night and day. Um, you know, I, I'll go back to, you know, them going to a rebuild. I I was actually very disappointed because I felt if we would have added a player or two, we could have uh, done some damage again. But they decided that I think eight of us got traded that year and uh, and a couple more the following year. But anyways, we got uh, traded down to St. Louis, uh, or sorry, to San Jose. And uh, 
um, I was fortunate enough to be named captain. And the difference is in, in July in Toronto, you could be a you know, sixth, seventh defenseman walking through a mall and people are pulling you aside saying, you know, what do you think of the team? What's going to happen next year? And I was, I could guarantee you being the captain of the San Jose Sharks back then, I know it's changed now. I could get kicked out of the game, put street clothes on, go up, sit in the middle of the stands and not a person would know who you were. It was, it was that different, but I, I really enjoyed it after coming from, you know, 12 seasons of, of being under the, under the scope to, going to a place where you could go anywhere and do anything and, and not have to worry about being bothered. It took about a month to wear off. And then I kind of missed the, the scrutiny. If you're not playing well, then people are on you and, and it makes you want to play harder and better. And uh, um, I did miss it. Well, talk a little Todd about a very different role. You know, you came up with the Leafs started as a rookie and you talked about Borea Salming's leadership. And now, as you noted, you were the captain of the San Jose Sharks how did you enjoy that role, and what did you do to help younger players coming up? Well, I, I did enjoy it. Um, I will say I have a lot of respect for the Stevie Eisermans and the, you know, the the guys that have worn the sea a long time. I, I think my biggest hurdle was I got so involved in trying to help everybody else uh, improve that I kind of forgot about my own game and and uh, and I Daryl Sutter came in and and again. Daryl was a very hard guy to play for, very good coach, but very hard to play for. So I felt as a captain, I was trying to put out too many fires with the, the players he was on. And and next thing you know, he was on me. So I learned a lot there and realized that, you know, first and foremost, you got to take care of your own game before you can help others. Lead by example and, and uh, work as hard as you possibly can. Well, subsequently, Todd, you ended up having stints with the St. Louis Blues, Detroit Red Wings, Phoenix Coyotes. You went back to Detroit then Colorado Avalanche, Chicago Blackhawks. You ended up playing for six different NHL clubs in the U.S. after initially enjoying the stability of a dozen seasons with the Leafs to begin your career. Uh, How'd you find that kind of transition where after this very stable period, you kind of were moving around? Um, What's your comments on that? Well, I, again, was fortunate to spend 12 seasons in one city. And then, you know, the older you get... um, if you look at those teams, a lot of them were trade line de- deals where I go in as a, you know, security blanket in case there's injuries. And, you know, I could always consider myself a, you know, four or five guy. And, and if need to be, I could be moved up. And uh, I guess it was an honor that people wanted you for that role. But unfortunately for my wife and my kids, uh, we got to see a lot of the USA. <laughs> well, there's, there's advantages too to being able to see different places. And, the biggest place, I guess, or biggest change would have been you finished your career by playing uh, a season in the German League uh, before retiring at 38 years old. What was your experience like in Germany? Uh, did you enjoy it? I did. Uh, I'll tell you a little story of what happened before that. I uh, I was supposed to go over to Switzerland to play, and uh, the Ottawa Senators called and said, uh, would you be interested in coming back and, and maybe uh, coming in and helping our younger guys? And you know, it was perfect because I'm an hour from uh, from where they play, and, and it would have been just a perfect fit. And I said to Peter Sorelli, who was a GM at the time, I just said, yep, yeah, Peter, I'm uh, at the time owned a car dealership, and my partner and I were on our way to Toronto for meetings. And I turned around and, and came home and said, uh, I'll be in Binghamton. They wanted me to go down for a couple of weeks just to get in condition. 
I said, I'll be there tonight. He says, no, no, no. He said, just, we got some paperwork to do. Wait till tomorrow and I'll call you at noon. And I said, no, Peter, I'll go down tonight. Like I'm ready to go. And he said, no, you wait. And I said, okay, well, make sure you call me at noon because if not, I'm going to be going crazy. Well, noon passed and one o'clock passed and around quarter to two in the afternoon, I get a call from Peter and I knew as soon as I answered the phone, something was up and they ended up picking another younger defenseman off waivers and so I had already called Switzerland and said, uh, I'm not coming. Tried calling him back and pretty well was, was told to go, you know what, myself. <laughs> and, uh, and so at that time, I got a, the agent that was helping me over there said there was a team in Germany. Would you like to go and play? And I kind of hemmed and hawed and ended up taking the family over. And it was a great experience. Uh, it was in the third league, I think, at the time. But you know, we got to go to Austria and all the places that they would never get to go to, and uh, it turned out to be a, a pretty good deal. It's great that you were able to take the whole family. Yeah, I, uh, um, it's an, it's an experience. Germany, you know, it's funny they with four kids they had a real hard time uh, finding us a, a place to live because you know most everything there is small. Like families are small, so we ended up. Uh, the owner had a dude ranch and. <laughs> It was closed down in the winter, so we ended up staying in this dude ranch, and it was just like staying at the OK Corral. <laughs> well, you, it, uh, hockey has shown you a lot of different places, and you have a lot of different experiences. Hey, Toronto, the GTA, and parts beyond. Sign up for a subscription box from the Henderson Brewing Company, where every month you will get the special seasonal release, plus three other unique tap room only beers mailed anywhere in Canada. Available in 4, 6, or 12-month subscriptions, these packs are great for any beer lover, including, yes, yourself. Order now at hendersonbrewing.com or visit their tap room and retail store at 128A Sterling Road along the West Toronto Rail Path. Henderson Brewing and the Toronto Legends Podcast, a great local partnership. Now, Todd, after retiring, you returned home to Brockville. In 2006, you bought the Junior A Brockville Braves and took on the role of coach. Were the Brockville Braves a team that you had played for? Yes, they were. Uh, way back when I, like I said, at a Cardinal, I played with the Junior B team as a 15-year-old and then went to uh, to Brockville from there. How did you enjoy ownership slash coaching? Well, it, it was an experience. Um, I didn't really know how I would enjoy it, so uh, we ended up buying the team and uh and once I get into it, I can honestly say I, I might have enjoyed it more than I did when I played. Mm. You know, it was a it was a totally different experience. Let's just put it this way: it was the closest I could get to that playing experience without strapping the skates on. Yeah, and and clearly that's something you still desired. You wanted to be close to the game. Yeah, I did, and uh, you know had some success there in Brockville and moved to Kingston and. Uh, you know, the team got better every year and uh, got an opportunity to go to the AHL with the Calgary Flames. And that that was a tough one because we started out down in New York here and uh, I went down to Adirondack for a year. And then eventually uh, the team moved to Stockton, California, which was tough. This was a, 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 obviously a change in hockey level and you had some other places you coached. But what did you find the differences were in coaching at these different levels in terms of the player development and guiding these uh, young people? Well, I, I think, and it ended up being probably a downfall of mine, just the way the game has changed as far as how you had to treat the younger players and how you had to talk to them. And, and uh, 
you know, the, the teaching and all that was, was easy. Um, it was just teaching what you've learned from some very good coaches and, and systems that you learned some from uh, very good coaches. But it's how you talk to them. Everybody has an agent now, and uh, you have to be very careful on, on how you word things because if not, the agent was giving Dougie a call or me a call. And But, uh, you know, after all, it was, uh, it was a great experience, something I enjoyed very much. Now that uh, coaching is done, playing is done, it sounds like you are the uh, main cheerleader for uh, your wife, Krista's burgeoning business. Do you want to talk a little about that? Sure. I'd love to. Uh, you know, all, all the way through my career, my wife, uh, she was a very good cook and baker. And, and uh, you know, going down to the, the Maple Leaf games, I, I, I'd always stop at Timmy's for a coffee. And I said, boy, it'd be nice to have a couple cookies. And she said, well, that's no problem. So she started uh, making cookies and you know, it just kept growing into team events, uh, birthday parties, you know, on and on and, and got bigger and better. And so she always had this ambition to start up a little bakery and, and sell her cookies. And, you know, I, I decided that, uh, you know, she stuck with me for so many years uh, through good and bad and, and moved from country to country. It was her turn. So she started up a cookie company and it's called 23 and Co., uh, she has a website site and would love anybody to go to it and and uh, take a peek and see what you think. But they're gourmet cookies. They're just not normal little chocolate chip cookies, but they're all chocolate chip. It's taken a lot of traction and and she's doing very very well. And she's worked very hard at it. So I'm gonna uh, I'm the I'm the cookie scooper and delivery man and on and on. Whatever. <laughs> well, that's great. I'm her guy. <laughs> well, as you noted, the name is Twenty Three and Company, and this is in honor of your jersey number, Todd, when you were with the Leafs. How did baking align with your lifestyle as a hockey player? Uh, I got to eat a lot of it. Uh, <laughs> you know, back then, uh, it was a little different when, you know, instead of shakes and, and uh, bars and, you know, there was cookies. Well, put it this way. I remember my first camp, I would come in, and they always had this big table in the middle of the room, and they would have little bottles of Coke and ginger ale and Sprite and chocolate bars and popcorn. Could you imagine a player of nowadays walking in and seeing that going, oh, my God. But uh, And then after the game, there'd be a, a barrel of beer in there. So you'd go have a couple of beers and go and take your equipment off. And, and certain guys are smoking in the dressing room. So <laughs> the game has come a long way for the better. Uh, it is amazing to think of the changes. Actually, when you remember your – your game days, Todd, was would it have been pasta or a steak or what was the uh, the menu at the time? My go-to, uh, I would come home. Uh, my wife would have chicken legs and, and pasta. Uh, she made this spaghetti sauce that was a meat sauce that was unbelievable. And, and then I'd shut it down for a couple hours and get up, grab my cookies and uh, stop, get my coffee and head to the rink. Well, uh, you and I are very similar. I, I did not play a thousand games in the NHL, but I didn't start drinking coffee till I was in my thirties. Yeah, and uh, I don't know what your little trick is, but my secret tip is uh, instead of milk and sugar, I put in a little chocolate milk. And I guess I'm making my own mochaccino or something. But that's how I started drinking coffee. What's how'd you get uh, into coffee, and now do you drink it regularly? I was probably twenty-two, and. Uh... One day, I think it was Gary Lehman I was talking to, and and he just said, uh, "Why don't you have a cup of coffee if you're, you know, back then you're always looking for something to get you going." And and uh, I said, "Well, I can't stand the taste of it." And he said, "Well, put some sugar in it." And so my my coffee back then was, uh, you know, two sugar, one cream, 
and then it went to uh, one sugar, one cream, and then just cream, and now it's black. So <laughs> the older I get, the, more, you know, the harder it needs to be. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Todd, we've got, got a bunch of loose ends here for you. Get some of your thoughts and memories. Playing in Maple Leaf Gardens. It was awesome. Just felt like the crowd was right on top of you. And it was funny. Maple Leaf Gardens had two sets of fans. The, you know, the regular season fans, which I think a lot of them were season ticket holders that would give their tickets away. It could get quiet at times, but man, in the playoffs, it was just a totally different beast. And they got loud. And it was awesome to play in front of them. There's uh, so many players you've played with and for and against. I do want to ask about a few. One you've already mentioned, and unfortunately, he just passed. Surprise to everyone, but we had that great experience collectively to see Borea Salming return to Toronto before his passing. What were your memories of playing with Borea Salming? Just that the presence he brought into the room, you know, he, he was one of those guys you just wanted to be around. Um, the thing I get a kick out of with Borea, like you knew he probably didn't skate at all in the summer and, and he would come to you know, the camp and, and uh, first time he put on his blades since the, the playoffs ended the year before, and he'd just be flying around the ice. He was such a natural athlete and just, you know, physically a beast and it just just a guy that you admired. The uh, teammates you had were incredible and all your skills came out, especially during that epic playoff run in 93. Wendell Clark, leadership and kind of set the tone for everyone, I'd say. Yeah, and, and number one, Wendell's a great guy, you know, a great human who, who treated everybody uh, with respect, and uh, he just oozed confidence. And and yet, if you met him, he was kind of a bashful, you know, didn't uh, he didn't talk a lot his first couple of years, but, uh, boy, when he got on the ice, he let his uh, <laughs> play and his game do the talking for him. You know, a perfect example of a leader leading by example, and... Uh, you know, it's it's funny to see him, you know, nowadays and, and how well he's done for himself and, and doing these uh, guest speaking uh, engagements, which, you know, if you knew him back when he was 18, would shock you. Doug Gilmore was someone who also led by example in his kind of, you know, skating to the last ounce of energy he had. Uh, what were your experiences like playing with Doug? Again, an awesome person, uh, someone that you wanted to follow and... Probably, out of all the people that I've ever played with, the most competitive uh, player that I've ever played with, and uh, and he wasn't afraid to you know to tell you to get your ass going because uh, you know he again if he's doing it you just you you felt obligated to give everything you had because you just wanted to you didn't want to let him down. And if I'm not mistaken, you did play with Rick Vive, who I did. Uh, had a, a major role, not only a former captain at least, but three time fifty gold scorer. What was it like with playing with Rick? Again, Rick was one of those guys, uh, probably the only 50 goal scorer that took the beating that he took because a lot of his goals, if if he wasn't coming down the right side and blasting at home, he was in front of the net taking a pounding. And, and back then, defensemen could pound on you, cross-check you, slash, do whatever you had to do to get you away from the front of the net. But he just kept going back there, and, and he had a lot of success there. Now, Todd, you have been a coach. You've been coached by so many. I, I won't put you on the spot to name coaches you had a problem with, but I will ask you, who are your favorite coaches and, and maybe why? Well, probably my favorite coach was uh, Pat Burns. Um, he was a guy that, you know, I had some struggles early on in my, my career and, and he brought me in and, and pretty well told me. And he did this for a lot of guys in, on that team. He gave me a role and uh, 
I took that role and ran with it and had some success with it. So um, he was the type of guy, uh, he he would know after probably the first or second shift whether you're going back out there for the third one. And uh, and then you might sit the rest of that period. And then in the second period, he'd give you another shot. And then if you didn't succeed, then he was saying, that's it, you're done for the night. So he, he had a real good feel for the room and, and for his players. Very intimidating, too. Yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> what was your role? Because as we've noted, you could put points up, you could play defense. I don't think you were the biggest guy out there. When I watched this, uh, I don't think you're aware of it, but there is a five-minute Todd Gill tribute video out on the internet. Uh, shout out to someone named Frank Vellucci, who he somehow stitched together what appears to be every single fight you ever had as a Toronto Maple Leaf. So uh, you can watch five minutes of Todd Gill fights if you want to. What was your role? Because you seem to be Mr. Everyman. Well, that that's, I think, what my role was. First and foremost, defense. Make sure that we keep the puck out of the net. And if you look at our, our defense that, that year, you know, my partner, I had a great partner, Dave Ellett. And then we have Slave, uh, Savan Lefebvre and, and McCowan, who played against the top lines and shut them down. And then Bob Rouse and, and Dmitry Marinov, who, who uh, again, were like Dave and I, just, defense first and if you could add some offense that was a bonus you did get in your share of scraps who was toughest joey kosher yeah and uh when you're involved with someone i guess i say it again my face shows that <laughs> well what, what's the strategy just hang on for dear life or you know with joey he he was he swung from the from the attic he brought it way up and and he was so strong he'd pull you in and that's why I wore that old Windwell helmet with about three inches of foam in it, so that if I did get hit, hopefully it absorbed some of it. Uh, Todd, you read my next question. That that Windwell helmet, very distinctive. I don't know if were you one of the first to wear it, or I, I mean, that's what stands out to me when I think of Todd Gill. I knew if I didn't see your number twenty-three jersey, I knew it was you because of the helmet. Yeah, I, I actually wore it in junior. Uh, I think two years, and uh, and I just it felt comfortable and. I guess the other couple guys were Messier wore one, and and I don't know if there's too many of us that wore them, but it was a comfortable helmet. It wasn't the best-looking thing, but it protected you. <laughs> Very distinctive. Who are some of the underrated players that you either played with or against that kind of don't get their credit? Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll go with our, the, the defense on the Maple Leafs in the 92. You know, Bob Rose, Savannah Lafave, McCowan, Ellett. You know, I think we had... Probably not the flashiest defense in, on, uh, in the league that year, but I think from top to bottom, we were the most consistent and reliable. You had many teams, many road games, many roommates. Who was the messiest, or, or did you have any neat freaks that you had to uh, accommodate? Well, um, my first year was Al Iafredi. Um Al was, uh, he was a bit of both. Uh, he could either be very neat or very, very messy, but I do know... Our rookie campaign uh, during training camp, Al and I, the maids quit coming into the uh, into the hotel room because it was so bad. So we get back to the room and our towels and everything would be sitting outside the door. They wouldn't even open the door and come in anymore. And we'd take the old towels and throw them into the hallway and they'd pick them up. So, um, and then Wendell was a room uh, a roommate for a while. Um, Billy Berg, you know, they switched it up quite a bit. Did they try to match kind of veterans with rookies, or how, what was the uh, way they accommodated roommates on the road? Well, at that time, no. Um, 
veterans usually got to pick their roommates, so Vibe would always have Tubby Terry in. And, and then it got to a point where I, unfortunately, did quite a bit of uh, sleepwalking, so I ended up getting my own room. And Todd, any stories about Harold Ballard? Any Harold Ballard stories? You must have had some interesting interactions. You know, there's been a lot said about Harold, and, and uh, I'm not going to sit here and bash the man because I, I don't know him at all. Uh, he was around the dressing room quite a bit. So I'll tell you two stories, and this one scared me the most. And When I was 18, I, I stayed at the Westbury Hotel. It was just down the street from the gardens, and I used to you know, get up early and say, well, what am I going to do? And Probably George Trainer's nuts, but I'd always go down to the rink real early and be there long before everybody started getting there. And uh, I always took a shower right when I got there, and I went into the shower, and I looked, and Mr. Bauer was in the hot tub, but he was face down with his arms out, and I went, Oh, my God. Oh, my God, what's going on here? And I ran, and I, Gunner, who was our trainer at the time, Guy Kinnear, and said, Get in here right now, and he gets in there. Well, Gunner, fully clothed, jumped right into the hot tub and grabbed Mr. Ballard to pull him out, which... He's probably wondering, why didn't I do that? But I panicked. And uh, and all of a sudden, Mr. Bell goes, what the f- are you doing? And Gunner's sitting there, and are you all right? He says, well, why wouldn't I be all right? And I don't know what he was doing, but he had us both scared. Well, let's put it this way. I, I didn't get any uh, treatment from Gunner that year because he was so pissed <laughs> off at me. And... Uh, I just said, well, better safe than sorry. I, I either saved his life or ruined uh, Gunner's life for him. But Absolutely. And the, but the thing that I remember about Mr. Ballard is he'd always, when he was on the road with us, um, he'd always pull Bob uh, Stalick in and hand him wads of money and say, donate this to whatever charity that was there at the time. And, and uh, Bob says, okay, whose name would you want on it? He says, not mine. And, you know, so people don't see that part of them. They just seen, the, you know, what they saw in the papers and, and what they seen on TV. And he was a Jekyll and Hyde type of personality. Yes. Well, cer- certainly everyone's got, as you say, they've got an opinion. But uh, he was very colorful for sure. Todd, you played over a thousand games in the NHL. Uh, what memorabilia did you keep, if any? I don't know if you keep your old sweaters or anything like that. Yeah, I have a few sweaters that I keep. Um, I, I wasn't one of those guys that got sticks and, and got people to sign them. Um, I, I look back and kind of give myself a kick now not doing that. But, uh, you know, I, I've kept my, my old sweaters and got them framed and hanging in my rec room. I want to ask you, because you have been a player, a coach, you've seen it from all these different angles. Why do some former players make good coaches and some don't? And the most famous example, I guess, is Wayne Gretzky, greatest player ever. I think most people would say he wasn't the most successful coach. Why do some former players make good coaches and some don't? Well, that, that's a good question. I, I think with with certain individuals, uh, all star type guys, that the game was just so easy for them, and and uh, it, it was hard for them to to explain what they were thinking because it just came natural to them. Where a player like myself, who had to kind of fight for everything they got. And and I kind of knew what I had to do to get to where I wanted to be, and and maybe that was a way that it was easier for me to explain to what the player what I was trying to uh, trying to get to them. And uh, I, I don't know that, that that's a great question and, and something that I don't think will ever be answered. 
I think when we look at the history of the Leafs in the modern day, I'm born and bred in Toronto. I've been waiting my whole life for the next championship. When I think of your exciting run in 93, we're at a time where we might have another exciting run. I don't know how closely you're following the NHL, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, is this the year for our Toronto Maple Leafs? I'll say yes. I, I you know, um, we've been waiting a long time and, and, you know, there's such a talented team with so many great players, good coaching. Um, if everybody stays healthy, I don't see why not. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear it. We're, this year, it's always this year is going to be the year. We keep hoping. Uh, Todd, you've been great with your time and we appreciate it. I do want to close off with asking what's next for you? Well, right now we're just going to focus on our little cookie company here and, and 23 and co. Hopefully it, uh, it picks up traction and, and takes off. And uh, if that happens, uh, life's good. Uh, again, I just became a grandfather, so I'm looking forward to spoiling my grandkids. And we have another wedding. My oldest boy is getting married this uh, upcoming May. And, and then we got the young guy who you were asking uh, about off the payroll. Well, he's not off the payroll yet, so... <laughs> Hopefully we sell enough cookies we can help him out. Fabulous. Well, I'm going to summarize by saying life is good for Todd Gill. I want to thank you for joining us. And before we go, why don't you tell us where we can best follow Krista's business, 23 and Company. Maybe give out the website and any social media that you like people to go to. Sure. Uh, 23andco.ca. She is on Instagram, Facebook, so... Take a peek, and uh, if you like what you see, put an order in. We'd love to send you some. That's fabulous. And approved and tasted by Todd Gill himself. Yes, sir. So uh, my, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not at my playing weight, unfortunately. <laughs> neither am I. Neither am I. Thanks, Todd. I want to wish you continued success, and I, have you, I hope you have a great 2023. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. And to the listener, we thank you for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends podcast, powered by the Henderson Brewing Company. And on behalf of Todd Gill, I am Andrew Applebaum saying mahalo. I'm your eager beaver. And I'm Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics or hate politics, then have we the perfect, perfect podcast, podcast for you. you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date and give you the political and media literacy you seek. To help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed and engaged has never been more fabulous. Or sexy. Catch us on, on the Dean Blundell, Blundell Network. Network. Or on our YouTube channel. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Because democracy, democracy is, is something, something you do. Hi, I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.